Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right. Well, welcome to Dr. Luis Sandoval show and welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. As always, I am your host, Dr. Luis Sandoval. Are you a mystic? How do you know? Well, maybe today we're going to look into that and answer that question. But here at the top of the noon hour, let's go ahead and start off with the Angelus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, o Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, folks, today's show is a little bit interesting. Uh, I find it interesting anyway, the topic of mysticism and mystics. I have a lot of people write to me, I shouldn't say a lot, but once in a while, I'll have someone write to me and say, gosh, you know, Dr. Sandoval, I need help. I'm experiencing um, some depression, some anxiety. My family's uh, all over the place and I don't know what to do. And I start asking the questions and I say, okay, slow down. What do you mean by your family's all over the place? You don't know what to do. What is going on with that? Give me some more detail. And one case in particular I remember um, was that of a mother who said, well, you know, I'm a mystic. And I said, okay, well, what does that mean? She said, well, I'm getting messages from heaven and I do what they tell me. So I know that I have to pray a lot. I know that I have to, um, you know, be, be here uh, and, and listen to the word of God. And they tell me when to read the Bible. And these messages tell me about things that might happen in the future. And, you know, I'm very dedicated to this. And my family's getting very frustrated because they don't understand me. They don't understand what's going on. And I say, okay, slow down. First of all, how are you getting these messages? Are you having apparitions? Is somebody, are you, are you seeing angel? What's going on? What do you mean by you're getting these messages? And very commonly, she'll say, well, you know, the Holy Spirit put this in my heart, or I get these messages in my heart. Well, okay, what else do you get in your heart? Do you get any other negative messages? Oh, well, sometimes I feel like I'm being attacked by the devil, and so I get told these negative messages. Okay, well, <clears throat> that's one situation. And then I ask, well, what's going on in your household? They say, well, my family's falling apart. I don't know what it is. I mean, I tell my husband to 
look after the children and to make sure everything's okay because I'm very, very busy with my apparitions and these messages I'm getting. I know I need to pay attention to heaven all the time. These are messages from heaven and that's all that there is to it. All right. Well, we're going to get back to that story first and see, decipher it a little bit more, see what's going on there and see, do we apply that into our everyday lives? Am I a mystic? Are you a mystic? We're Catholic. What in the world does it mean to be a mystic? Well, in our Catholic world, we do know about saints who, people who have been declared saints, people like you and I who have been declared saints, who have told us that they get special gifts, shall we say, or or that they're in touch with the spiritual life in a, in a much more real way than we are, or so we think. But let's go back. I found this interesting article. It was It's called Four Lessons from the Mystical Saints. It's an article from a few years back, about six years back. I like looking at old articles because just like we read the Bible, you know, history repeats itself. Our human nature is not changing. And what people experienced before, we're going to experience today and in the future. But this is an interesting article. Let's look at a few mystical saints. Let's look at what's going on there. And then we're going to come back to the questions of, are we mystics? Who's a mystic? Am I a mystic? Are you a mystic? What does it mean to be a mystic? We're going to define that. And then we're going to look at stories like the one I just shared and say, is this person truly experiencing mystical phenomenon? And what do we do? if we think we are experiencing mystical phenomena. Well, let's look at this article first. It's called Four, Four Lessons from Mystical Saints. <clears throat> well, this article is going to look at a few different saints. The person who wrote it said, mysticism can be a temptation for those of us who are enticed by the supernatural phenomenon that are often associated with it. But if we look beyond those aspects, we discover the beauty of a unitive and communitive love between God and a person. Ultimately, it was these saints' magnanimity and perfect love of God that gave birth to extraordinary, extraordinary revelations or gifts rather than their seeking for the revelations and visions themselves. I suspect that the mystical saints didn't put a lot of credence into these because they simply wanted to love God and be loved by him perfectly. Here are some lessons I have gleaned from learning about the lives of the mystical saints, many of these being commonalities they share. From these commonalities are substantial yet practical ways we can all grow in our interior lives. That's one thing that I liked about this article. It was going to look at a few saints. It's going to look at a few gifts that these saints had that we describe as mystical. But then I want to see how do we apply that to our everyday lives? Because I think a lot of times, just like this author said, you know, it's very easy to get caught up with um, the supernatural phenomenon that are associated with mysticism. And we easily lose sight of what mysticism really is and what this phenomena come from. The phenomenon are secondary to our love for God, our desire to love God and our desire to be united with God. That should be primal. And I think that we're going to see that that's how technically we are all mystics or can be mystics. But let's look at this. So a few gifts of mysticism that official bona fide saints have had Okay, so one of them is the gift of sensitivity. I like that. Let's see what this means. I don't think it means being a sensitive person like you're always crying, but let's look at what the gift of sensitivity is according to this author. And by the way, I'm putting a link to this article uh, on this talk so you can find it there and see what this article has to say and how it speaks to you. The gift of sensitivity. Many saints who experienced various forms of mysticism suffered from physical maladies and chronic diseases. This is true. St. Padre Pio, St. Bernadette Subaru. If anybody doesn't know St. Bernadette Subaru, she is where? Our Lady of Lourdes, right? Uh, they were afflicted by respiratory ailments such as asthma and long-term lung infections. This is true for both of them. Likewise, St. Gemma Galgani and St. Catherine of Siena 
struggle with similar physiological conditions. <clears throat> it's interesting to connect their physical weakness with a particular gift, which, which they all exemplified, and that is the gift of sensitivity. What does this article say about that? Most people who are highly sensitive have bodies that are susceptible to colds and infections, probably because their entire beings are extremely attuned to both interior and exterior changes. Sensitivity, while viewed by the majority of people in our society as a weakness and an infirmity, is truly a grace and a gift in terms of natural intuition and empathy, particularly with people who are suffering. All mystical saints are incredibly intuitive, which may likely be why they recognize God's voice or presence in ways or places that non-sensitive individuals would otherwise overlook. Okay, that's interesting, this topic of sensitivity. Let's look, there's one more paragraph on this. Because they personally understand the difficulties associated with physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual darkness, they are also more apt to empathize with others who are suffering. This extends beyond the people who are visibly struggling to those who perhaps mask their hardship as well. Mystical saints tend to be drawn to these people out of a generous love in which they desire to reach those who are suffering with God's healing balm. That is something we can all strive to achieve in our lives, reaching those who are overlooked, ignored, and ostracized with God's love through our spiritual charisms. Interesting. Let's go back and look at this. So that was a lot there. That was pretty dense. But let's break it down a little bit and see what we mean here. Because the gift of sensitivity, it's interesting. Working in deliverance ministry, sometimes you hear people who are into the occult, into psychic phenomenon, into reading tarot cards or things like that. And you might have heard somebody say, oh, I'm a sensitive. And what does that really mean that I'm a sensitive? What they'll tell you is, oh, I can tell what other people are thinking or feeling or hearing, right? And so when we look at this, if we read this, the gift of sensitivity, we don't want to confuse it with that. And I think if people read this, they, it can easily be confused the way it's written if somebody doesn't understand what this author means. And I understand what this author means. I think she's right in many ways. But I think the gift of sensitivity is more the gift of empathy, the gift of understanding. And how do we achieve that? Well, this says, I like this one sentence here. Sensitivity, while viewed by the majority of people in our society as a weakness and infirmity, is truly a grace and gift in terms of natural intuition and empathy, particularly with people who are suffering. Well, this author first starts off by saying that, you know, saints who had physical ailments were very sensitive. Well, I don't know that I would say if we're sensitive or empathetic to other people, we're going to end up with physical ailments necessarily. I wouldn't necessarily make that connection. It's an interesting connection to make. But what I will say is this, um, their gift of natural, we could have a natural intuition and empathy, particularly with people who are suffering. Well, that's an interesting point because the reality is, isn't that what we're called to do anyway? You know, to have this intuition, to, to be sensitive towards other people. How do we know that? Well, if we look at the gifts of mercy, right? The corporal works of mercy, or even the spiritual works of mercy. How do those work? We have to have a certain intuition. We have to have a certain sense that, wow, these people are um, somebody suffering, and I feel for them. The most important way that we end up feeling for other people, or, or that we can uh, empathize with other people who are suffering, is if we have suffered ourselves. This is where the idea of, have you ever fasted? Have you ever been hungry? Have you ever fasted from buying something? Have you ever felt like you wanted something and you couldn't have it? Have you ever fasted from gossiping or stopped yourself from doing something that we know we shouldn't? 
well, that might be lead us to a little bit more sensitivity, not just in our own lives, but looking at how other people are living their lives. We're going to talk more about this is important after the break. All right, folks, well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. As always, it is a pleasure to be here with you. Today, we are asking the question, am I a mystic? Are you a mystic? How do we know what it means to be a mystic? We see the examples in the lives of saints. I was reading this article, and I found it interesting um, because it talked about four gifts that this author felt that saints who were mystics or who we classically define as mystics, uh, what gifts do they have? And they found four of them. One of them was sensitivity. We were talking about that. And the way they define sensitivity is somebody who can be really be empathetic towards other people. And I thought, well, that's interesting that you're, that we would think that mystical saints have this, but isn't that what we're called to do? Let's look at the works of mercy. I always think when I think of empathy, I, I go back and I think of the works of mercy. You know, we have the corporal works of mercy or those that apply to the body and the spiritual works of mercy that apply to the spirit. Um, you know, the, the corporal works of mercy to feed the hungry, to give water to the thirsty, to clothe the naked, to shelter the homeless, to visit the sick, to visit the imprisoned or ransom the captive, and to bury the dead, right? These are things that we need to, that we're not going to be able to do if we're not aware of it, if we don't uh, switch our minds in a way that we look for this. We're not we're never going to be sensitive towards other people if we can't look towards what are they experiencing or what are they suffering? And it's really hard sometimes to know what other people are experiencing if we haven't experienced it ourselves, if we don't know how to suffer, if we don't know how to uh, have a bad day or how to have to give something up or how to feel bad. I'm not going to know what somebody else, how bad that is for somebody else. Easily when I experience that, I can look at somebody else and say, oh, I've been there. You know, I've seen what's going on there. Am I sensitive to the needs of those around me? Uh, that's one thing to ask ourselves. If you are, does that mean that you're a sensitive or it might just mean that you're Catholic and you're in tune with the corporal works of mercy? Same thing with the spiritual works of mercy, <clears throat> to instruct the ignorant, to counsel the doubtful, to admonish the sinner, to bear patiently those who wrong us, to forgive offenses, to comfort the afflicted, and to pray for the living and the dead. These are things, again, that we need to be aware of our surroundings, uh, of the world around us. And if you notice, the world, the, the church doesn't ask us to do this once we get an inspiration or if we feel like we're experiencing a mystical phenomenon, we have to be sensitive to our fellow man, no matter what, this is something that we just have to do. So the sense of sensitivity, I wouldn't say is unique to the uh, saints who we have defined as being mystics. I think it's something that we're all called to do. We're all called to put our hearts out there and, and really feel our hearts or compare our hearts or attune our hearts to those who are around us. Are we able to do that? We're not going to be able to do that if we don't have these thoughts in mind and if we've never ourselves experienced suffering. So that's something to consider. Okay, something we might have in common with the mystics. Let's look at the next one. The next gift was wounds of love as a gift offering. Let's read what the article says on that. A couple paragraphs here. Many mystical saints, including St. Gemma Galgani and St. Catherine of Siena, received the stigmata as a sign of their spiritual advancement towards unity of love with God. The stigmata, whether visible or invisible, serves as a symbol of Jesus' love. The saints who bore his wounds did so because of love, not in spite of it. They were fully aware of the value of suffering well, <clears throat> so it was their delight to carry the wounds of Christ in their own bodies. 
we could interpret the wounds of the stigmata to other uh, invisible wounds that we all carry. Wounds of loss, grief, death, sorrow, depression, addiction. All of us bear them in our hearts to some degree and in some form. Like the stigmata, our wounds represent the potential of pain as a love offering to Jesus. This is the beauty of redemptive suffering. And the mystical saints carried this mystery of love both in their hearts and on their bodies. Though it is unlikely any of us will receive the stigmata, we can recall often that our suffering, born with patience and perseverance, bears the same fruits of resurrection and perfect union with God. I really, really like this paragraph or the, this section of this article because wounds of love as a gift offering is very important as what we're called to do. Yes, sometimes we are always uh, impressed by saints who had visi visible stigmata. Padre Pio had them. You see them having the right. He had to wrap his hands and he went to doctors about these wounds and they couldn't explain it and they would bleed and not bleed. And we see this and we think, oh, isn't that beautiful? Oh, that represents Christ. And I think it brings us closer, a little bit closer to heaven. We like the mystical aspect of it. And we're going to, again, down the road in the show, define what is mysticism and see, does that really apply to us or not? Um, but it's very easy to see if a saint truly experienced the wounds of Christ in a visible way, or if they said that they experienced them invisibly and there was very painful to them, that's something that we could easily say, gosh, yeah, that's pretty impressive. But I like the way the article says, are we carrying any wounds? As a therapist, as a psychiatrist, as a doctor, I'm very familiar with wounds. You know, you come to my clinic, there were a lot of physical wounds as I'm doing general practice. Uh, a lot of things that we took care of, a lot of uh, sometimes we'd have to do little surgeries, minor surgery there in the clinic. I'm taking out a cyst or I'm doing something. I see the wound there and these wounds need to heal. heal. Sometimes they leave a little scar. So I'm reminded that there was something there, something that was taken care of, something that was taken out. So wounds will leave scars. But the pain that I'm experiencing, the physical pain that we're going through, Am I offering that up as a stigmata? Sometimes we want, you know, a lot of people, this is how you know a true mystic from not. If somebody comes up to me and tells me that they're a mystic and start telling me about their mystical phenomenon, I'm going to take that with a bit of a grain of salt. And we're going to talk back, uh, we're at the end of the show, we're going to talk about that, that uh, patient I talked about or that person who reached out to me with all the phenomena that they thought they were experiencing. But a lot of times we will pray for stigmata, we will pray for signs so that we feel important, to kind of feed our ego, to feel uh, it's maybe some for some people spiritually superior, spiritually more attuned, more important. Um, this usually happens for a lot of people who really are experiencing a lot of internal wounds, a lot of emotional wounds, whether it be a broken marriage or their children are not in the place they were hoping they would be, uh, they didn't envision something, and they're carrying these wounds with them more as a sign of their own suffering rather than uniting that to the suffering of Christ. And that's what really distinguishes us as Catholics um, and puts us in that mystical realm. Whatever wound we're experiencing, whether it be a physical wound, say that unfortunately somebody has to go through dialysis, somebody's going through cancer treatment, somebody uh, truly has a physical wound, they lost a limb or something along those lines. If it's in the psychiatric world, somebody's experiencing depression, anxiety, psychosis, whatever it is, traumas from the past, we carry that. If somebody was uh, violated physically, sexually, emotionally, whatever it is, these are big wounds that we carry. The question is, do we use these wounds as a way to draw attention to ourselves? Or do we see these wounds, the hurt, the pain that we experience it? And are they our own stigmata? Is it something that I can unite to the wounds of Christ? Maybe I'm not going to have the wounds in my hands, my feet, in the side, but I carry my own wounds and I'm going to say, Christ, 
I'm going to try to unite these with your stigmata and somehow they're going to look about the same. Hopefully, hopefully that I can unite that with yours and my suffering might be united to yours. That's the mystical experience there. The belief that whatever suffering I'm experiencing, I can actually lift up and it will be meaningful. A lot of times we, I see a lot of patients get wrapped up in their suffering and their suffering is just pain and it turns inward. Am I able to turn this pain outward and actually make it a sacrifice for our Lord? That gives it a whole lot of meaning. Are we mystical in that way? So far, it sounds like we could all fall into the line of mystics. We're asked to be sensitive to other people. I always think of the works of mercy, and we talked about that a little bit. So we have a certain sensitivity and empathy towards those around us, a sympathy towards those around us. There's lots of catchphrases, lots of words that people will use. Um, but whatever it is that we can experience, uh, something that inspires us to help someone else who we see suffering, even if they, we don't understand their suffering 100%, that puts us in that sensitivity uh, realm. What about the uh, the wounds of love as a gift offering? We can do that. I don't know anybody on this planet who's not going to suffer. If we're on this planet, we were made to suffer. It's going to be a full of suffering. And the question is, can I offer that suffering up so that I can unite that to Christ and open the doors of graces that will come from that? That redemptive suffering is very key and very important in our Catholic philosophy. And that also moves us into the realm of the mystics, of, of mysticism, of the mystical saints. Let's look at the next one, the next topic. Total immersion in virtue and holiness. Ah, here we go. I like that. I like that topic. Let's see what the article says. Because of the wholehearted and possibly even radical desire to please God through their lives, the mystical saints are proverbial icons of virtue. Steeped in perfect humility, all of their spiritual gifts, such as reading hearts or receiving personal revelations through locutions and visions, never resulted from delusions of grandeur. On the contrary, many of these saints either hid these experiences or suffered terrible persecutions and ridicule from others who were understandably skeptical of the origins of such phenomenon. From the seed of humility flourished other flowers of virtue, such as complete charity, everlasting hope, fullness of faith, and others. We would all do well to learn from such examples, beginning with humility. It seems that when we pray for and work towards the attainment of humility, all other virtues quite naturally follow suit. Most of us who honestly grow in humility will never be aware of it, though others will see this virtue in us. A person who genuinely cherishes his or her littleness and hidden intimacy with God will certainly be humble in thought, deed, and desire. I think that's very important. Total immersion in virtue and holiness. I like how this starts off with the fact that saints who were steeped in humility um, started to experiencing different things, right? They experienced those things that we find amazing, that we want to hear about. You had locutions and visions. You could hear things. And... It was verified or no psychiatrist or therapist would ever say that you were experiencing uh, mental illness. It wasn't a delusion. It wasn't auditory hallucinations. Well, we could say that they're hallucinations because we don't see them, but to this person, they're very real and they were coming from heaven. Now, notice that this starts off by saying that through their humility, they were open to receiving these gifts. I like this one sentence. On the contrary, many of these saints Hit, oh, it's a, it never, yeah, they let me go back up a little bit here. Uh, they never resulted from divisions of grandeur. 
these locutions and visions. On the contrary, many of these saints either hid these experiences or suffered terrible persecution and ridicule from others who were understandably skeptical of the origins of such phenomena. You'll notice that if somebody is experiencing these directly, directly, um, they will sometimes uh, not want to share them. Somebody who's really experiencing this is going to say, who is going to believe me? I don't want to tell anybody about this. And in fact, I'm hearing that I'm supposed to tell somebody, I'm supposed to tell my spiritual director about this. He's going to make fun of me. Nobody's going to believe me. That's one way to distinguish people who sometimes say that they are mystics and like to go around saying that they experience all this and they'll tell people about this and they'll tell people they're a mystic. I am weary about that. As a psychiatrist, I can tell you, as soon as somebody comes up to me and tells me they're a mystic, I need a whole lot more information. What does that mean? And we're going to talk a little bit more about that towards the end. But I like this. Can we grow in virtue and holiness? Can we grow in our humility? Can we attain it? Absolutely. Are we still in the ballpark with these mystical saints? Yeah, this is something we can do. we got to remember the saints were no different from us other than their desire to be 100% with God, 100% unity with God. That's what where I think that we, I wouldn't say fall short, and I wouldn't say that's where we're different. The question is, how much do we want that? Where's our desire? Is it 100%? I fall short all the time. I mean, it, it happens. There, there's no question about it. We get caught up in our everyday lives. We get caught up in what the world tells us. And is my desire for union with God always at the forefront of my brain? That doesn't always happen. But when I start reading things like this, I start to wonder, am I desiring that humility? Am I desiring the virtue? Am I being sensitive to those around me? Am I offering up my suffering? Well, there's one more gift here that we're going to talk about when we come back from the break. All right, folks, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. As always, I am your host, Dr. Louis Sandoval. Always happy to have you here at the clinic where we talk about our spiritual health, our mental health, and of course, our physical health. Um, today, we are talking about mysticism. How do we know if we're mystics? Are you a mystic? Am I a mystic? What does it mean to be a mystic? I stumbled upon this article. I'm going to put the link at the bottom of the show here. Um, and it was an interesting article because it's titled Four Lessons from the Mystical Saints. We've talked about three of the lessons or three of the uh, commonalities that this author feels that the saints have. Uh, one of them was a gift of sensitivity. We talked about how, well, we're all called to be sensitive and empathetic towards each other. So that puts us in that ballpark with the mystics. What about wounds of love as a gift offering? And we talked about the article talks about saints who had the stigmata. But we talked about how we are called to offer up our uh, sufferings, our wounds uh, for the love of God as a sacrifice, not leave it at the level of suffering, but actually make it a sacrifice so that it has some kind of a spiritual meaning. We never know who our sacrifices will help. What about uh, total immersion in virtue and holiness? Is that something we can attain? Absolutely. It's a matter of being conscious of what are the virtues. Start with humility. All the other ones will fall into place. Is it possible for us to be humble? Is it possible for us to be patient? Is it possible for us to have all these different virtues to be prudent? Absolutely. If we start to work on our humility, I think all these things will fall into place. Again, puts us in that ballpark with the mystics. Now, what's the last gift? Talked about this a little bit before the break. This article says complete union with God. Now, let's see what the article says, and then we'll talk about it a little bit here. The best way to understand total union with God 
is through another mystical saint's testament of three stages of advancement towards per perfection in the spiritual life. I catch my breath there. St. John of the Cross, the mystical doctor of the church, left us with a timeless understanding of one's journey towards sanctification, from the purgative to illuminative and finally unitive stages of spiritual growth. All the mystical saints achieve the unitive stage of perfection in holiness while still on earth, and they enjoyed a complete communion of love with God at all times. So let's let's see what else this article says. It's unlikely that most of us will reach the unitive stage before we die, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't strive for it. Our path to sanctification begins with purgation of our senses, will, the intel and intellect. Longing for perfect love shared between our hearts and God's heart will lead us to purgation and pruning a necessary, painful, and often spiritually dark process that can last for years or decades. But love will not deter the sincere heart that is determined to love God perfectly. Purgation is a test of one's resolve. From time to time, a soul who is primarily in the thick of purgation may experience the illuminative stage which is when God chooses to reveal himself through the invitation to contemplation or other consolations. These experiences may be fleeting and infrequent, but when they serve to encourage a soul towards a path of perfection that God has selected for him, finally, it is possible to receive glimpses or tastes of perfect union with God, especially if one is given the gift of tears or unexpected spiritual delights, such as raptures or ecstasies. These do not occur for every soul, but God chooses how and when he will reach each soul with, for, and through love. Ultimately, the mystical saints teach us that the interior life must be more important to us than the peripheral distractions we often make to be the center of our focus. To one who loves well, one will learn to suffer well and thus live well. This does not mean that life will be without trials, tribulations, and temptations. Even the saints encountered these throughout their lives, but they were not discouraged by them. Neither should we be discouraged or disheartened when we find ourselves wrestling with a particular vice or weakness, because this wrestling is an, important, is an opportunity to grow in humility and total dependence on God's love and mercy for everything. Like the mystical saints and all saints, we can and must learn that life is contingent upon how we view our nothingness in light of God's all. When we give, excuse me, when we give our all for the sake of God's all, we possess everything. So <clears throat> very nice, very interesting, complete union with God. They use the example here. This author uses the example of St. John of the Cross. Very important example because if you read St. John of the Cross, St. Teresa of Avila, very similar uh, in their approaches to un un uh, union with God. And obviously the first thing we need to do when we want to achieve that union with God is purgation, right? What is purgation? We have to do sacrifice. What's the purgative stage of prayer? It means that that's when we're making up for our sins. When we think about it, when we die, a lot of us say, oh, am I going to make it to heaven? I don't know that I could ever be a saint. I don't know that I could ever get to that level. But a lot of us want to experience these mystical phenomenon, right? A lot of us want to say, oh, I, isn't that so beautiful if I get a message from heaven? Wouldn't that be so beautiful if I got the stigmata? Wouldn't it be so beautiful X, Y, or Z, whatever the case may be? But the purgative state is something that we're not very comfortable going through. And I don't blame anybody for not being comfortable going through it. It's a very, very challenging state. Why is that? Well, because we have to look at ourselves. This is when we have to do our examination of conscience. This is when we have to look at our imperfections. This is when we have to look at 
the moment where I have not been good, I have not been perfect, I have sinned, I have sinned against God. Am I willing to sacrifice for that? When we think about it, a lot of us say, I don't know that I'm going to go straight to heaven. I'll probably go to purgatory. And we don't think much about that. We just kind of were waiting for purgatory to happen as if it were, oh, that's okay. It's like a bus stop on our way to heaven. But the reality is the name itself, itself tells us what is purgatory. It's a place of purgation. It's going to be a, pl a place of pain. It's a place where we have to make up for our sins. And it'd probably be better if we started doing that here on earth. There's more value to starting to do that purgative state here on earth, where we start to make little sacrifices, where we start to look at why is it that we say, oh, geez, one indulgence, this indulgence will get me out of 100 years of purgatory. Well, I know there's so much controversy with indulgences or not. I like to believe in indulgences. As plenary indulgences are beautiful. The idea that all my sins and all the uh, temporal punishments associated with my sins are going to be gone. But of course, I have to be completely disconnected from venial sin in order for that to happen. That can be very challenging to achieve. But this is a very important thing. We're going to eventually achieve union with God. That's what these mystical saints experience. Why wouldn't it be what we want to experience? We do want to experience it, I think, but I think sometimes we don't want the pain that comes with it because the reality is if I'm going to achieve perfect union with God, I know that I'm going to have to change my life. And one, that can be scary. All of a sudden, I'm in the scary realm of, well, what do I have to do? Am I going to become weird? Am I going to lose friends? Am I going to, I don't know. All I can tell you is I've never lost a friend. I've had people who stopped talking to me, but then that just tells me they probably weren't really my friend. You know, if you stop talking to me because I'm choosing to be closer to God, because I'm choosing choosing to amend my life in a way that I don't want to participate in what might be considered sinful, well, then my question is, how much of a friend are you to me? You know, if you're going to walk away from that, did I really lose a friend? The only friendship I really want is God's friendship. And if somebody else wants the same thing, then boy, we're going to be good friends. But that purgative state, that wanting to achieve that union with God, that purgative state can be painful. It's the pruning, as the article says. We're not going to feel good. We might be humiliated by others during that state. Can I offer that to God? If I've been working towards it, if I've been asking for total immersion in virtue and humility, um, then yeah, I guess that would be something that I would say, God, I'm going to offer this up to you. I don't feel really good right now. I think I'm being made fun of. I feel very much alone. I think this might be a little bit a hint of what you were experiencing on the way to the cross when you were humiliated and you were left alone. I'm experiencing a little bit of that right now. Probably not to the level you did, but can I offer this to be with you? Can I offer this to make up for my sins, to make up for my shortcomings? I hope I can. Gosh, this person, they they don't acknowledge my gifts that I think that you gave me. And I'm feeling really little by that. And in fact, they're getting recognized more than I am. A lot of people tell me they experience this in their own lives. Am I willing to offer that up and say, Lord, I'm going to stay small and I'm going to stay humble. And I'm going to offer you the pain that I'm experiencing because I'm going to trust that if you want to use my gifts in a certain way, you will put me in that position. I'm going to leave that all to you. Am I re ready to surrender? Once I get there, if I can get to that, past that purgative state, I'm going to, I'm going to reach that illuminative state. Wow, I'm gaining an all, a lot of knowledge. I'm learning about a lot of what you're telling me, Lord. I'm getting a whole lot of knowledge from what you're telling me. I'm understanding things in ways that I didn't understand before. I feel that I'm becoming more knowledgeable spiritually. And in fact, the more I get to know spiritually, the less I want here on this planet, the less I want to know from this earth. In fact, I don't even want titles here. 
I don't want to be recognized here. I don't want anybody to even know that I passed through this earth. I just want to live for you and that my life here might just point to you. I want it to be so that if anybody hears my name, that they don't think about me, that they think about you, that they say, oh, yeah, that person, Jesus Christ. He talked about Jesus. What did he say about Jesus? Is this where the, not, the mystics lead us? When I hear about the mystical phenomenon that saints experience, do I think, boy, that makes me want to be closer to Christ? Or does it make me think, boy, I really wish I had those gifts. I wish I had the stigmata so people could see me, so I could be in the limelight. Once we reach that illuminative phase, after we're done purgating, we're going to realize, I don't want any of that. That's where the spiritual knowledge comes in. I don't want to tell anybody I'm a mystic if I am. I want to keep that very quiet. I want to keep that between me and God. In fact, I want to use those gifts to bring other people closer to Christ. This is how you know when you're dealing with a true mystic. True mystic's not going to take their time telling you how mystical they are and ask you to put their name in the limelight. They're going to secretly and quietly tell you how to guide your life towards Christ, how to get rid of those things that are keeping you from Christ. In fact, they're going to humble themselves and tell you that you are more important than they are in God's eyes, even if they are experiencing mystical phenomena. And lastly, that unitive state. <clears throat> you know, a lot of people want to achieve that. A lot of people want to will want to say, oh, I, I got to that unitive state with God. Well, it takes a lot. And usually most people won't tell you, you know, St. Teresa of Avila, they talked about her, how she would levitate, how she would get into that um, ecstasy with God. And boy, we could all only hope for that because that means that we made it to heaven. Once we're in heaven, I think we're all going to be in that perfect unit of state. There's no question about it. That's how we get to heaven. But remember, we got to go through purgatory and an understanding or illumination of who God is. We've got saints who tell us that they would rather stay in purgatory for an eternity if they have an imperfection rather than make it to heaven because they would not want to diminish what is the perfection of God. They would not want to stain the perfection of God. Sometimes we don't understand that. Sometimes we're so busy trying to see our names and lights here on this on this planet. You know, when we look at social media, people are doing the look at me, look at me uh, type of accounts. And what can I get from this? And where am I without stopping to ask ourselves, how is any of this leading people to God? Because that's really what we need to do. We need to think about that. These are important gifts. The unitive state of God, total immersion of virtue and holiness, offering up our wounds of suffering, and the gift of sensitivity. I think we're getting close to understanding that maybe we might be more mystical than we think. More when we come back from the break. All right, folks, well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. As always, a pleasure to be here with you talking about our Catholic faith. What a better thing to do. This is like my favorite part of the day. What better than to talk about our Catholic faith? This is what I find fulfilling. Um, I hope you do as well. Today, I think it's an important topic. We're asking ourselves, are we mystics? What does it mean to be a mystic? Uh, who is a mystic? Sometimes we think that mysticism is something only achieved by the holiest of saints. Uh, and that's true. You know, when we see the holy saints, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Catherine of Siena, St. John of the Cross, you know, the classic uh, saints who have been defined as mystics by the Catholic Church. Uh, <clears throat> it's easy for us to tend to believe, gosh, that's something that's out there. That's like space travel. You know, it's like saying you're an astronaut and you've been to, to outer space. What are the odds of me being an astronaut? Well, the reality is we have to ask ourselves, what does the definition of a mystic, what is the definition of a mystic? What does the Catholic Church say that the definition of a mystic is? And how does this look? Okay, how does this look in our real life? How does it look versus people who really feel like they're experiencing phenomenon from heaven and how they deal with that in their lives? Well, I always like definitions because whenever we have a conversation, 
it's nice to know that we're on the same page. So let's define mystic. Let's see what this means. Now, this is just from the Oxford Language Dictionary. Just looked up a general dictionary, see what it said. A mystic, it's a noun. It's a person who seeks by contemplation and self-surrender to obtain unity with or absorption into the deity or the absolute or who believes in the spiritual apprehension of truths, meaning understanding of truths, that are beyond the intellect. Okay. So let's break this definition down a little bit. I'd like to look at the general, what's the secular uh, dictionary say uh, that a mystic is. So it's a person who seeks by contemplation, unity or absorption into the into the deity, meaning for us Catholics, a, a union with God. And they're saying, you know, deity or the absolute, which of course in the secular world, they're just going to say whatever's out there spiritually, you know, whatever's going on. Or who believes in the spiritual understanding, they say apprehension, understanding of truths, that are beyond the intellect. So being able to see something that I cannot see. It sounds a little bit like St. John of the Cross talking about the illuminative phase. But so far, it doesn't sound like anything that can't be achieved. It doesn't sound like we can't be mystics. All it says is it's a person who seeks by contemplation to achieve unity with God. Well, can I seek unity with God? Yes. Can I start contemplating on God? Absolutely. Aren't we told to read the Bible and to understand scripture? And by reading the Bible, am I not learning about who God is? And do I not want to seek unity with God? And can I stop for a moment and just 100% focus on God, contemplate on God, let my mind rest with God's mind? If I can do that, it sounds like I'm on my way to being a mystic, at least according to the secular world. But let's see what the Catholic world says, right? Let's see what the catechism of the Catholic world says. The catechism of the Catholic Church, what does it say? What does it say as far as mysticism? This is number 2014. Spiritual progress tends towards ever more intimate union with Christ. This union is called mystical because it participates in the mystery of Christ through the sacraments, the holy mysteries, and in him, in the mystery of the Holy Trinity. You can't separate Jesus from the Holy Trinity, right? It's one God. <clears throat> God calls us all to this intimate union with him, even if the special graces or extraordinary signs of the this mystical life are granted only to some for the sake of manifesting the gratuitous gift given to all. This is very important. Okay, so let's look back at that secular definition. That's important to look at. It's just a person who seeks by contemplation to obtain unity with the deity, in other words, with God. Okay, so that's all it is. Or who believes that there's spiritual understanding of truths beyond the intellect, so beyond what we can see, beyond my own understanding that there's other things that I can learn that I'm not going to be able to pick up on my own. As a scientist, I can tell you a lot of scientists get scared about that, right? Because that's that's how we get into that realm of, well, that's either science or God, or, you know, I believe in science. I don't believe in God. I'm a scientist, so you can't talk about... That's ridiculous because then all you're telling me is that you as an imperfect human, because we're all imperfect, have the entirety of knowledge, and that's in science, and that's all there is to know. And yet, we are all not perfect. There's no perfect human being. So even the most intellectual of intellectual scientists, even Albert Einstein, didn't know everything there was to know, which tells me that there's knowledge out there beyond my intellect, which, if I start thinking that way, sounds like I'm already a mystic or I'm in the realm of mysticism. We have to join that if we desire to understand God 
that already puts us in the mystic. We have to join that to the definition of the catechism of the Catholic Church because this is very important. We need to break this down. This is the difference between somebody coming and telling you, hey, I'm a mystic because I have these gifts or gosh, these saints, were they were mystical saints because they're experiencing these gifts. It's the difference between that and realizing, I think we're all mystics. Whether we're experiencing these gifts as directly as some of these saints did or not, does not preclude us from being mystics or mystical. Let's read that definition from the Catholic Church again. It's spirit mystic mysticism is spiritual progress, which tends towards ever more intimate union with Christ. Are we if we start to progress in our spiritual life, if I make myself more humble, if I rid myself of all the things from this world that might bring me try to bring me fame or fortune or make myself known, and I quietly lead a life where all I want to do is be united with Christ. It sounds like I'm trying to make some spiritual progress to be more united with Christ. That already sounds like I'm down that path of mysticism. This union is called mystical because it participates in the mystery of Christ through the sacraments. Hang on, back up. This union is called mystical because it participates in the mystery of Christ through the sacraments. Wait a minute. You're trying to tell me that there's mystical union through the what? The sacraments, the holy mysteries. Well, in the Eastern Catholic Church, that's what they call them. They call them mysteries, right? We call them the sacraments in our Latin rite. In the Eastern rite, we say it's the mysteries. <clears throat> so it sounds like I am headed towards that spiritual progress and I'm experiencing the mystical when I receive the sacraments. How many of us here go to communion on Sundays? How many of us here go to confession? Isn't there some kind of spiritual phenomenon happening happening there that's beyond my intellect? I can never look at the host and see Christ, but I know it beyond my intellect. I take it on faith. Am I not uniting myself with something beyond my intellect every time I receive communion? Doesn't that sound like a spiritual union? I might not be feeling it as St. Teresa of Avila did. I might not be levitating off the ground, but am I not experiencing the same spiritual union, the same mystical phenomena, since it is the same Christ? I might not be manifesting the same signs, but if it's the same Christ, then wouldn't it be the same union? Because there's only one Christ to be united to. It sounds like it's pretty mystical to me. It sounds like every Sunday we're experiencing mysticism. <clears throat> it sounds like every day, anytime we go to receive communion, we're experiencing mysticism. It sounds like every time I go to confession, there's something mystical happening. It sounds like every time the priest, through holy orders, is changing the body and blood, the bread and the wine, into the body and blood of Christ, there's a mystical phenomenon happening there. Am I not present for that? Am I not experiencing that? Is my soul not wanting to unite to that? Sounds like we're all pretty mystical creatures here, if you ask me, based on our Catholic faith. Let's see. God calls us to this intimate union with him. And this is the key. This is what I like. Even if the special graces or extraordinary signs of this mystical life are granted only to some for the sake of manifesting the gratuitous gift given to all. Notice that the special graces and extraordinary signs, they are manifested only by some for the sake of manifesting or showing that which we are all experiencing, but don't, but we might not be able to feel. We're all in that same realm. Yes, so they levitated. So what? Good for them. They're showing me that that can happen in my life as well. But the reality is, is it only that I want my body to levitate towards God? Or is that 
a sign of something greater? Isn't it that I want my soul to levitate towards God, which I can't see happening, but I hope it's happening every time I receive communion. I hope it's happening every time I go to confession. Am I not part of this mystical realm? Aren't we all as Catholics part of this mystical realm? When we participate in our faith, when we live out our faith, we are living in the mystical world. Regardless of how God wants to manifest those signs in us, whether it be directly in a physical way, as we've seen for some of these saints, or he might want to manifest these signs for us in a more subtle way that we might not even realize. In fact, some of these saints might say, you think it might be impressive that I levitated. I think it's more impressive that you change your heart with humility. And that's the way God's going to see things. We're always desiring to be closer to God, I hope. But are we desiring for it to show, for people to see it with us? Or do we want to be small and humble? This brings us back to that story. That patient who we talked about in the beginning of the show, I was a patient It was somebody who was asking for advice and telling me how they were experiencing messages from heaven, a lot of mystical phenomenon, getting messages in their heart from the Holy Spirit, and they needed to focus on this 100%, and they needed to change their life, but their life was in turmoil. But they knew this, and they, and, and they needed to continue, though, because they were getting gifts from heaven. But one of the problems was I asked, how is your marriage? How are your children? This was a, a lady, and she's not paying attention to her children not paying attention to her husband, little do we forget, let's go back to that definition from the Catholic faith. Remember, spiritual progress, union with Christ, mystical because it participates in the mystery of Christ through the sacraments. Are you ignoring your sacrament of marriage because you think you're getting these mystical phenomena? That could be a problem. What about the mysticism we experience when we reach out to our spouse and tell them that we love them? What about the mysticism we experience when we put our lives on hold because my children need me and they need me to show their my love for them and they need me there to help them with their homework or do something that I find very frustrating, something that I find could be suffering for me to have to get there and take care of the household or be with my children or go to work because I need to bring, uh, you know, take care of my family. Do I feel that that's a suffering? And if so, am I offering that suffering as a sacrifice? Is that one of the wounds that I'm uniting to Christ? That sounds pretty mystical right there. If every day I have to get up and do something I might not want to do, something I wouldn't necessarily uh, think about doing on my own, something that I find is keeping me from moving forward in my own, uh, you know, being recognized by people or or getting that next promotion or getting that, that next uh, uh, material good that I want, is something keeping me from that because that's where my desire is? Or is my desire that to say, you know what, I'm going to do this and it might keep me from that, but that's a good thing because it's keeping me humble. And if I were to get all these things that I think I want, all these material things, all this recognition, that might not bring me in that intimate union with Christ. That intimate union with Christ is quiet. It's humble. It's not recognized by the world. How do we know this? Ultimate humility. You're not going to get a bigger saint than Our Lady. And what was she known for? She was known for her ultimate humility. I don't know that anybody saw her. I don't know that anybody even knew much about her while she was living other than the apostles. It doesn't sound like she had any kind of big uh, sign out there in the world for her to, to be recognized. Her humility, her saintliness, her, Im her immensity of graces came from humbling herself to know that she was going to do nothing but the will of God, putting myself in God's hands. That's the most important thing, taking that risk and saying, I'm going to unite myself with God. I want to pray today. I'm going to get on my knees and pray. What more of a mystical union than to say, God, I'm going to unite my heart with yours. And in that way, we are all mystics. We're all mystics just by being Catholic, by living the, the Catholic life, by living a sacramental life, by receiving communion. It can't get to be a much more mystical union than that. 
regardless of whether we're experiencing what we might consider a mystical phenomenon. In fact, I always say, put those mystical phenomena away, put on your mystical glasses that we can see the world through in our everyday lives, and we'll be much more united to Christ and we'll understand our lives as Catholic mystics. Until next week, this is Dr. Sandoval saying, keep it Catholic.